David Charles Grush, a whistleblower who previously served as an intelligence official and a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, has provided Congress and the intelligence community inspector general with highly classified information. According to Grush, this information pertains to covert programs that have successfully obtained both fully intact and partially intact non-human aircraft. Journalist Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal explains how this breaking news story came to light. Join us as we get Rebelliously Curious. Ralph, thank you so much for joining me on Rebelliously Curious today. The past 24 hours for me and everyone at The Debrief has been unbelievable, and we thank you for bringing the story to us. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you. It's really great to be with you. Good to see you, too. So this is a bombshell of a story. Can you start off by just, mostly people know now, but for some people that maybe is just catching up to this, and we'll have some of those people as well, can you explain how this started with Dave Grosh and how you ended up getting the story and some of the moving parts of how this all came to be? I've heard about, I heard about Dave Grosh for a while from various sources that I have who know him. It's sort of a group of people that I'm in contact with pretty regularly. And um, I was introduced to him in early March because uh, he had been wanting to do a story with us. And he, he knew that he was going to be coming out into the public arena and we were the people that were going to do the print story for that to happen. So it was just a matter of timing of when he felt comfortable talking to me and then eventually to Ralph as well. Um, but that first conversation was in early March. And then it was a matter of us talking to him, learning, you know, getting documents from him. We got a lot of documents from him and learning who he was and what his story was. That was where we started. And then we tried to build the story by bringing in other sources. Um, and there were more, more people we talked to than actually ended up in the story. Um, you know, we got a lot of support for him and talked to a lot of other people and then decided, this is kind of the whole thing in a nutshell, Ralph, you can add to it, but then decided which, you know, which people were going to be included along with him to kind of lend support and add their own independent views on the same topic that he was talking about. I mean, let me say this, that Leslie and I talk all the time, every day or sometimes multiple times a day on different stories. Um, so we were, we've been talking about, you know, developments in, in, you know, UAP field for, for months, years, really, regularly. So um, it, it, this just sort of grew out of that. Yeah. And he's making claims of non-human craft and bodies potentially unknown uh, pilot bodies, he said. Those are some extreme claims with no evidence to date. Can you speak to then, you know, how you came to sourcing that information from him and then also potentially what it's going to look like in the future if other documents will be released? Because I know he did give you a few, but are any photos or anything else going to come forward, um, hopefully and potentially in, you know, in the coming weeks or months or maybe years? I mean, just to start right off, we want to stay away from bodies. I assume you agree, Ralph, because that's not something we talk to him about. That's not something, not something we would ever put in our story. Um, and so if he wants to make that leap with somebody else, which is what he's done, that's I'm not going to be able to comment on that. And, I, you know, it's just not part of our story. I mean, our focus on our story is on the physical craft. And that's what he talked to us about. And obviously, there can never be documents released that, 
are specifically about a specific craft or specific studies done on a craft that reveal anything about locations or pictures, absolutely not, because they're all classified. We know all that data exists, and that's the kind of information he provided to Congress and to the ICIG, the inspector, the inspector, you know, the inspector general for the intelligence community, um, and under oath, by the way, he talked to them. So that information is available, but not to us folks who don't have security clearances. Will it ever come out? We hope it will, and maybe Congress will gradually authorize the release of some of those documents, or whoever is in charge of them will authorize that. But at this point, they're all very, very closely held and highly protected through these, you know, I these just, documents or whoever is in charge of them will authorize that. But at this point, they're all very, very closely held and highly protected through these. You know, I these, just want to yeah. add that the amazing thing is that we got so much um, that we could put into the article that was not classified. And, uh, you know, we got Dave's statements um uh approved or he got them approved by the pentagon's office of you know pre-publication you know release uh to clear this information with us not they weren't saying that it was true or not they were just saying it's okay for you to say this it's not covered by any you know secrecy uh, uh, restrictions um but we got everything uh, that we put in that story um on the record and not classified and that's what we regard as as our real breakthrough that we could get this stuff out there without breaking any laws um and through the uh, you know restrictions on classification which are onerous and protect all this material we i mean so much of this stuff is classified and we don't know about it uh, but we got a lot of it on the record and usable did he end up seeing anything with his own eyes because right now i believe it's just stories that he's heard and and maybe potentially hearsay but is, did he see any of these documents has he been witness to anything that's craft related or you know engineering of any type of technology i wouldn't call it hearsay first of all i mean he has talked extensively done many many interviews with very high level people from inside the programs and they've given him lots of details. So I, I, I think it isn't really fair to call it hearsay. I mean, it's direct communications that he's had with very deeply buried people from the programs themselves and others. And, you know, I don't know specifically what he was shown in terms of whether he's seen photographs, what kind of classified documents he's shown. He has never mentioned seeing photographs. I don't think that means that he hasn't. Because again, it's all about what his security clearances allow him to see. And there may be certain things he doesn't even want to reference that he's seen. So we, I, I'm not responsible, we don't really know for sure the answer to that question. You know, there's things he couldn't even tell Congress, if you can imagine that. Uh, he said, uh, you're, you're not, in effect, he said to Congress, you're not cleared enough. You're not high up enough for me to tell you these things. So, um, you know, we, we have that and that's on the record. So, um, you know, he has very, very high security clearances. Um, and uh, so we don't know what he saw or touched or, you know, was aware of. But uh, certainly, as, as Leslie says, it's, it's more than hearsay because he put on the record and signed statements and testified under oath that he um, has this information, this knowledge directly, and, and he participated in the programs. And plus, his, uh, his credentials are amazing. You know, we had people vouching for him. We've seen his performance reports. Um, so he, he is the real thing. Can I, yeah. can I just clarify one thing that Ralph said, though? It wasn't actually members of Congress that didn't have the clearances. It was staffers that didn't have the clearances. Right. Yeah. 
there's some of the information, just to make that distinction, some yeah. of the information he provided they weren't cleared to have access to, but I think there were members of Congress that probably were cleared. I don't know. Um, yeah, and he also, he didn't participate in the programs. He actually, he knows lots of people that did, but I mean, he was participated in the UAP task force. But yeah, I just want to, you know, just to be 100% clear for people listening that when you said that you weren't talking about that he was part of one of these crash retrieval programs, but he knows people who were uh, direct, you know, direct information from them, basically. And he was part of the UAP task force. And of course, we don't know to what extent the task force, what they have access to and aren't telling us either. So, and that's where he did a lot of his work when he was employed there. So, you know, there's always this big wall around what's classified and what isn't. We only know a small percentage. What was it that Lou said, Ralph, about we only know maybe, what is it, 10%? Yeah, 90%. Some incredibly, yeah, 90% of what we know is not available to the public or some huge number like that. And should so be, you can only, yeah. yeah, we should talk about this later on, that this belongs to, to people of the world. I mean, uh, apart from any direct national security, um, you know, data, which is probably, you know, you can say, well, that's arguably uh, secret and ought to be classified. Um, but the, as, as we say in the article, but the fact that these objects have been retrieved um, and exist and all that, uh, that, that's not giving away any national security secrets. That is information that belongs to uh, humanity. I agree. And you, you're segueing exactly where I wanted to go, looking at talking about mainstream media, not picking this up yet, like slowly picking it up. But in the beginning, when you were looking to see that story and, and outside of the debrief, and we appreciate that it obviously came to us, but we know the Washington Post didn't pass on this. So let's clarify that. But let's talk about you know, why you felt the pressure that you needed to put it out right away, because we see that tons of people are asking that question and try to clarify it and not make a conspiracy theory that, you know, you were pressured to do this. But instead, why did you feel the pressure individually, not by other people, to release this so fast? I don't think we can reveal all the reasons. I mean, it has to do with a lot of placement of various media that's going to be coming after and so on. But the main reason was because there were leaks that were developing, even his Dave's name came out. One of the other people in our character, in our, I think it was actually in an interview you did with Danny Sheehan, actually. And there were other, I mean, there were just leaks that were building and building and building. And our, our source, Dave Grush, was starting to get nervous. He was starting to get strange phone calls. There were, you know, people were making weird comments about FBI raids. And it was just like the tension was just building for him. You know, he'd been waiting for so long that um, it just got to a point where we were the, the leaking process was what we were worried about that somebody might go out and try to do a story about him that presented him in a negative light, for instance, or lie about him in the media. I mean, people do ter all kinds of horrible things. So we just felt this urgency at, the, at a certain point. We just had to get it out. And and that's what he wanted as well. And you may want to add to that, Ralph. I don't well, know, I but that's essential. That. Sure. No, no, this is well grounded because one of his complaints officially uh, was that he was retaliated against illegally under the whistleblower statute. He is not supposed to have been retaliated against for information he gave through proper channels, uh, but he was. He suffered um, uh, retaliation, details of which we did not go into for his protection um, in the story. But um, so that was another factor. You know, as a journalist, we know that the best way to protect uh, a source once he or she gives you, you know, important information is to put that information out there, get it on the record, because uh, until that happens, a source is really 
vulnerable to all kinds of pressure. And, um, and as Leslie said, he was receiving all kinds of, you know, threats and, and other things. And, um, uh, we needed to get his information out there. So, uh, we, we lost the option and the internet, yeah, as you know, can be a savage place. There's a lot of people there. It's unpoliced. We, we know that it's good that it, it's open to all these different voices. It's a great strength of the internet. Anyone can you know, be a journalist. Anyone can publish anything. That's great. But of course it's not always verified and we have been the, the victim. Uh, victims ourselves in previous reporting of stuff that came out on the internet that undercut us that embarrassed us that you know look to uh, preempt us um people have different motives uh you know rivals uh, colleagues so uh, it was getting really untenable we we had to get this information out and we could not wait for the processes of, of some other organizations which were proper and their you know that's their protocols but we had to move ahead to protect our, you know dave and um, um that, that was a, a really huge factor oh yeah are there any legal repercussions that might happen to Dave because we know that he was allowed to go forward and speak to that and I would love to talk to you also to explain first why he was allowed uh, because we're hearing different things obviously Susan Goff just sent a quote and I'll put that up too re released a quote from the Pentagon she's the Pentagon spokeswoman to say that this is not you know not discredit him but and that's a huge thing we should know, not discredit him, but to say that Arrow is, you know, looking to be open to talk to people and, and just really kind of put out a blank statement. So let's speak a little bit about to that and then potentially what these repercussions could be, because he is protected under the, you know, under the Whistleblower Protection Act for him within legislation. But what happens now? You know, will he have any legal repercussions potentially in the future? That you could see of it's just i don't think so personally i think he's very well protected now now that he's getting out there in the public i mean and he's now a great lawyer i mean he, he has a lawyer who's the previous inspector general of the intelligence community uh who's really plugged in um uh, so he is represented very ably by extremely high level counsel um so i think again by putting his story out the debrief um protected him Right. And then it's picked up everywhere else. And so his name becomes familiar. And then anybody that knows that if they try to do something to him, it's going to become news. And, you know, the law is really in effect now. He's already spoken to Congress, whereas when he was retaliated against before, he had not done that yet. That was all before he spoke to Congress. So it's a different world now for him. And I just can't imagine that anything like that. And he's also not in government anymore. That's another big change. When the, when the things happened to him before, he was still in government. So some of the places he was working for weren't happy with the fact that he was speaking out, right? Or that he was looking for information or whatever it was. But now that he's an independent person, I think he's also more protected in a certain way. There's there's less threat on him. So why was he allowed then to come forward and speak to this? Why was that? Like, I know there's people that obviously don't want it, but what was the process of this being allowed through government? Well, I don't think they had a lot of choice um, because it was embarrassing for them, them, the, the government, I mean, the Pentagon, to know that he, he was out there, had this information, um, and it was not, he wasn't speaking about classified things. I mean, his statements were approved on an unclassified level. Uh, we have that documentation. Um, so there really wasn't an awful lot they could do. Um, um, and, and, I, and I'm properly so. I think, uh, you know, we're in a free country. We have freedom of speech. We're allowed to say certain things as long, as long as we don't give away national secrets, classified information. And uh, again, this was information that, that was so basic 
earthquake. And so earth, earth shattering, um, you know, about retrieved craft that uh, there was really not, nothing they could, they could do to, to, to stop him. To. There's nobody that either allows him to do anything or not allows him. He's a private citizen. I'm glad you clarified that because I know a lot of people are saying, you know, if the government is saying that he can. And it's just it's just a weird place right now where you have like Susan Goff saying one thing. And obviously there's other stuff going on where people are, are saying that he can go forward in the government and have those conversations. I mean, there's nobody controlling him or telling him what to do. He's a, he, he left government and I think it was on April 7th. So it's good. It for himself what he's doing no and he knows the the constraints against him just like you know lou alessandro when we talked to him at great length he knew what he could say and couldn't say and he put a lot of stuff on the record that he was allowed to say as a citizen and he withheld a lot of stuff that he didn't tell us uh, because it was covered by you know classified restraints and and uh, you know protections so um uh, we've, we've encountered this situation before now, the whole conversation of whistleblowers, we've heard there's multiple, obviously not just one right now with Dave, but does this open up the floodgate then for whistleblowers to come forward? But I asked that, and I would imagine that would be a yes, but when we look at whistleblowers, there's variations of different stories that will generally potentially come out. How do we vet those stories to be true? Because anybody could make up a lie or create misinformation or forms of disinformation that turn into misinformation. How do we vet that? And what is that process going to look like? And are we doing that as people? Or do we have to look to the government to help us do that as well and maybe work together? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, we have to make a distinction between a whistleblower and a witness. So a whistleblower is somebody who's actually accusing the government of wrongdoing. But if you're somebody who's just coming forward and saying, I, I have this information, but I'm not accusing the government of anything, then you're, you're a, whist- a witness, not a whistleblower. And the term whistleblower is kind of tossed around a lot very casually. Um, so um, I think, um, you know, one way you can vet them is if they whether they've spoken to Congress and or Arrow certainly is an important question because if you want to give someone that credibility and that you know, you're willing to seriously consider them as legitimate, then if they have spoken to either one of those bodies or both, I would think that means something. They're unlikely that they're going to go in there and lie, right? Even though they're not in their oath, it's unlikely. So to me, that would be one question I would always ask someone if they suddenly come forward is whether they have communicated with either either Arrow or Congress. Um, and other than that, all you can do is ask for documentation and do in-depth interviews to try to assess the veracity of what they're saying and try to get other people to corroborate that and talk to other people who know that person. I mean, it's a you long know, process. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's very important to note that we don't know all the people who've come forward. That's not a public record. As a matter of fact, we have a quote in our story saying that um, members of Congress are prohibited from disclosing the identity uh, identities of, of witnesses and whistleblowers. So um, we don't know all the people who've come forward. And, you know, that's that's class of what they say and who they are is is also protected. So so we don't know all that stuff. Uh, if somebody comes forward to us and says, I testified to Congress about, you know, UAP or whatever, we go through the process of getting their, you know, of vetting them, getting their credentials, getting their performance records. Um, which is why, by the way, everything in our story was uh, named sources on the record, backed up by documentation, no unnamed sources. Um, and that, I think, gives our reporting strength that you don't always find, you don't find on the internet, for example, because there's a lot of anonymous stuff floating around, may be true, may not be true. You never 
there's no, no way of, of telling, but we've laid it out um, in our story uh, because that's our training as journalists, uh, naming people, showing their background, getting other people to vouch for them. So um, again, we don't know all the other people who come forward. We, we haven't documented that. And I think hopefully we'll see more people coming forward in the next maybe, yeah, again, weeks, months, years, and with their stories. And hopefully then, yeah, we can we can make, hopefully they're credible stories and we can have evidence, you know, to back those as well and move forward and mainstream media picks it up. Has other, sorry, say it again. No, I was just saying absolutely. And I think I think that should happen. I think Dave's just going to st- be starting the ball rolling and it, hopefully others will be encouraged to come forward. Absolutely. Yeah, he's giving yeah. strength to other people. And one and and I think he lit, lit a fire under Congress because he's basically said, Congress, you have been lied to. You have not been told the truth. And here is the truth. Um, we have that in our, st- in our story uh, that he has basically told Congress um, that they have not had access to the information that they legally deserve to have about UAP. So maybe now, little by little, that you know this fire will be lit. Other people will be emboldened uh, to to come forward, and uh, that, that I would guess that would be the case. We look at other potential whistleblowers from the past in the early '80s, and we'll look at Bob Lazar, obviously, as being one. And this might be a a direct question, in kind of direct question, but is 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 Dave the new Bob Lazar? Would he be considered that? Because right now that's kind of what people are saying or hearing. There's similar things to what he's saying. Exactly. And and does this corroborate Bob Lazar's story? I would say no to both of those questions, but I mean, because, you know, Dave has, Dave has spoken to Congress for provided 11 hours of oral testimony. I don't think Bob Lazar has done that. Uh, Dave has, you know, he's filed a complaint with the ICIG, which was which was ruled in his favor, urgent and what is it, credible and urgent. I mean, it's just another level. I mean, I'm not dissing Bob Lazar at all, but I don't think he has the kind of credential and open, you know, op- openly engaging with the government, providing documents. You know, lots of people know him. Um, it's just a whole different level of kind of activity. And I don't think what they're saying really is similar either. I mean, he's not talking about one specific crashed object in a hangar in one location. He's It's a much broader expose than that. But, you know, that would be an interesting question to ask David how he sees himself in relation to Bob Lazar. But I don't I don't see him among the same in the same universe, really. I don't know, Ralph, you might have to. I mean, first of all, Bob Lazar said he put his hands on Kraft, right? I mean, he actually physically saw and and interacted with with Kraft. uh, And um, um, and and Dave is not saying that. But also, um, uh, Dave came from it came from very, very high level, uh, you know, intelligence agencies, uh, which we documented. Uh, He worked for different agencies. He worked with the UAP task force. He worked with the, you know, National Geographic Intelligence, yeah, the NGA, National Geospatial geospatial intelligence or the alphabet super agencies but again we documented his his service record plus he you know a decorated war veteran in afghanistan and all that so um you know we choose to to feature the stories of people who we can document fully that they not only have very important information uh, but whose um, bona fides we can, you know, document uh, really very compellingly and get other people to vouch for them. So I'm not saying that 
you know, who we di- who we didn't feature because they didn't measure up to that. But Dave does measure up to that, and Lou Elizondo did measure up to that when we featured him in the New York Times. So these are the people, you know, we chew. We hear lots of stories all the time. As I said, Leslie and I talk all the time about, um, you know, we were going to go in our reporting, but we tend to, you know, try to put our our efforts on those cases where we are, you know, just fully able to document their, their service histories and their information. And I think an interesting question would be whether Bob Lazar is going to go uh, provide testimony to Arrow, say. I mean, if he, why wouldn't he do that? I've asked the same question uh, on some of my podcasts as well, is Bob Lazar going to do that? And I, I hope he does. I really do. And we'll see. I think that shows his level of credibility if he decides to go on the record and testify. So I I think you're right. But I can't, I'm not second guessing him. I mean, if he doesn't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm sure he would, you know, he has all kinds of reasons for what he does. I'm not trying to draw judgment at all. Everybody has to make their own own call on this. And it's obviously extremely difficult to come forward. Dave, you know, uh, really risked uh, a lot to, to do that to come forward on the record uh, so not everybody's willing to do that and we're not judging those who don't but we we certainly uh, uh, like to uh, you know give credence and attention to those who do Avril Haines is our national is the national um, director of intelligence so you might know this or not but i believe it was last year a year before maybe even two years ago she did a talk called our future in space with uh theoretical physicist avi Loeb. she did it with some theologians as well and it also uh, i believe i forget who else was there oh um bill nelson was there nasa administrator so right there there was tons of people in the national cathedral church in washington speaking about the 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 concept of what this is going to look like from a theologian perspective and through like a science perspective. Do you think that Avril Haines, and it says, I believe in the article that she was informed. Do you think that she's actually, and I know that this is all just speculation and just a question that you're not hundred percent potentially sure, but do you think she knew of this way in advance and was hosting these types of conferences that really on YouTube was only watched about 4,000 people when I watched it. It wasn't nationally broadcast, which I thought was interesting, but it had a conversation, a really deep conversation um, about the theology of this. Do you think that Avril Haines potentially might have known way more and doing these types of conferences is generally doing a slow trickle of this topic uh, and looking at it well, from a cultural perspective? That, I hear this a lot. Uh, as, a, as a lifelong journalist and New York Times reporter, uh, I do not really believe in these conspiracies, that this was all thought out in advance, that this is, you know, a plot to trickle out the information. I mean, we obviously don't know what Avril Haines knew um, or didn't know, but I tend not to believe that... You know, the people who, who you know, uh, assert that our story was planted or that, you know, people leaked this to us at a particular time for a particular effect. I know that's not true because I know how our stories, um, you know, originate through hard reporting, digging, sometimes chance. So um, I would tend not to believe that she had some kind of master plan to, you know, plant the seeds at this, you know, uh, conference with Bill Nelson, et cetera. I also want to say, by the way, it's great that NASA is finally in this 
discussion because for a long time they were missing in action, but we can take that up later. But uh, so to answer your question directly, I don't know how Leslie feels about this, but I'll tell you, I do not believe that these things are, um, you know, sort of uh, hand fed to, to, to reporters or plotted long in advance because we just don't know. Uh, how would she know that Dave Grush was going to, uh, you know, decide to come forward? Uh, you know, who, who knew that? Um, Anyway, he didn't know it. <laughs> he didn't know himself till he decided to do it. So, um, anyway, that's that's my take on it. Maybe Leslie has a different take. But no, I mean, I can't. I can't comment because it's all speculation. I agree with you, Ralph. But um, I, we do know that that she did receive, or her office received, a copy of the classified version of the complaint, the the ICIG complaint that he filed in May of twenty twenty two. So she she did receive that, and the, of course, the classified version has all the information that he provided similar to what he provided to congress so for whatever that's worth that was after yeah. that conference with I guess it was after the conference, but just, yeah. yeah but just in general to speculate yeah i guess you're right but to, just to speculate in general just to add that we know she has she did get a copy of that right yeah so let's even talk about the timeline i'd be curious to know when because we look at the legislation and we know that the legislation has a 72-hour activation mode that then it's informed to different people within the different agencies so i'm curious because we don't really know what propels that so i'd be curious to see what that timeline looked like if you can share it with me of when he decided to then testify and go on the record and under oath and then where we ended up now being uh, informing different um, people within senate and intel committees how long was that uh process i think it was i mean and i might not have it it's all in the story i might not have it exactly in my brain but as i recall it was in 2021 that he first went to the ig for the dod and filed a complaint there um and that was it wasn't a, that, compl that complaint quote was about illegal activity on the part of the u.s government be, because uh these programs have been concealed so he basically went to file that they have, they have these programs and they've been hiding the information from the government and that's illegal. And after he did that, that's when he started to get these reprisals happening, that somehow that information leaked and he doesn't know how that happened. And then, so over the next year, he was just constantly dealing with horrible things that we're not gonna talk about because the investigation is ongoing, but it really, really bad stuff. And so then um, in at 20, May of 2022, he filed a, a reprisal with the ICIG or a complaint, I'm sorry, which dealt with the reprisals that he had received the previous year, as well as the information that he had. So there were two components of what he was providing. One was just the information about the programs and the crash retrievals. And the second was the information about the reprisals that had been taken against him. And so that was the second complaint. So, that's sort of, so that was like May of 22. So that was like a year ago that he filed that. Um, and then yeah then he started talking a lot to congress after that second um may 22nd may 2022 complaint was filed then the, the copies of the classified version were sent around they were sent to both the intelligence committees both house and senate and then he started having these closed door meetings with the staffers and members of congress and then continued to do that over the next year um, that's how I understand the timeline. I, again, if I got anything wrong, it is in the story. I think that's exactly right, Leslie. And of course, we don't know all the things he told Congress behind closed doors because that's all classified. Exactly. So for the people who say, well, he hasn't provided anything, you know, we don't know what he, we don't know what he provided. That's right. It's classified. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. Oh, for sure. <laughs> really important. It's just that we don't get to see it. Yeah. You know?
And there were there was a lot of it. I mean, there were hundreds of pages of of, of material that he, you know of information that he provided. A lot of information. Do you know how we go about then, since this has come forward? how to unclassify classify documents like that like it obviously the government will it will take some time for that to happen but how is that even pushed to then obviously come forward is it just because of the pressure that's been put on with obviously this story and the amount of pressure that they're going to have to deal with um, or is it something that they're just going to say we're probably not going to do this and not unclassify any information well, that's a good question i mean congress can can obviously subpoena information the congress can obtain information uh i guess to some extent they they might influence the declassification i, I i'm not familiar with the you know all the ins and outs of that process uh, who would have to do that but uh, certainly we hope that uh our story um, will em em embolden members of Congress to do what they're elected to do, which is find out on behalf of the American people what's going on and to open doors that are closed to them. I mean, you know, one of Dave's uh, claims and complaints is that Congress has not was illegally uh, uh, kept in the dark uh, by by the government, by the you know the executive branch, by the Pentagon. Um, so now maybe members of Congress will, will you know assert their constitutional rights to be informed about these things. This is a money, of course, that that is involved here um, that belongs to the American taxpayer. So if Congress now demands that this, some of this information be opened up, um, that will probably go a long way. Oh yeah, and multiple people would be going to jail. Could multiple if, yeah. if they released classified information. If they released classified information, yes, that's why they can't. Do or it. if they withheld information illegally, because that's a crime. I mean, uh, Congress is entitled to certain information, which is Dave's point, and to withhold that information from, from Congress, um, that is a crime. Yeah, right. and they're but, saying over 90 years, though, that this has been okay. held against the American people, and not knowing. You know, that's a lot of people. <laughs> a lot of time. And, you know, the government has played a very sordid role here. We have to say that in concealing the truth of the American people. I'm not talking about classified information. I'm talking about basic facts. They've, they've had a government policy through various administrations going back to World War II and earlier to ridicule this phenomenon, to stigmatize it. Um, to, um, you know, pressure the media not to run these uh, stories. Um, and basically, uh, it, it put a cloud over the entire field, which we still feel today. People are reluctant to come forward. Um, and that's only because the government was afraid to say that we don't know what this phenomenon is. Uh, we can't protect the American people from something we don't know, uh, you know, what it is. Um, if they'd only said that, um, it would have probably encouraged people to come forward uh, long before this. So th there's been a long history of disinformation, misinformation, and and really, uh, which is I'm not the first one to say this. This is, but it's it, um, it's a very sad history, and we're suffering the consequences of it today. But it's it, um, it's a very sad history, and we're suffering the consequences of it today. Is there any possible way that this could be a disinformation campaign? 
you know, yeah. uh, uh, recruited Dave into a disinformation campaign and gotten all the people like Carl Nell, the colonel who, who vouched for him, and Jonathan Gray, the other source we have in the story who vouched for him. You'd have to get all these people together. This is what I was saying before about conspiracy theories, which I don't believe my career as a reporter. You'd have to get so many people to agree on a story, and a, you know, a fake story and disinformation. It's just ludicrous. Uh, I mean, you know, anything is possible. Could you say, is it imp No, it's not impossible. It's just extremely unlikely because of the way we trace the bona fides of all these people. Yeah, and too many people know Dave Grush to, for that to be the case. That's for just, sure. It's, a, it's too highly respected within the intelligence community for that to we've happen. Seen, we've seen a lot of people come forward even after this is... Uh, the story went live that people have come forward and have said, you know, how about him and said many, many positive things about him and his ethics. Has anybody in Congress or government um, re or related to government, um, not even just obviously media would reach out to you, but anybody that's former government or in government right now has reached out to you in the past 24 hours about this story? We don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's you fair mean enough. I mean, yeah, we talk to people all the time, um, yeah. uh, you know, who we talk to and for what. I mean, that's not something we, you know, we feel comfortable discussing who we've talked to and, you know, about what. That's fair. Can I ask then, what is a Dobson review? Because that has been mentioned. And I just like to clarify it for people who, myself and others, might not be familiar with that term or acronym. Okay, that's the uh, uh, Defense Office of Pre-Publication and Security Review. Um, and they uh, decide whether uh, somebody who had been privy to classified information can, can talk about the subject, to, to what extent that person can, you know, reveal details about it. Um, and Dave submitted um, the fact that he wanted to give us information, talk to us about his, um, his testimony to, to Congress and to the Pentagon. Um, and quite properly cleared it with that office beforehand and said, I plan to say this and this and this to the reporters, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal. Uh, they don't rule on the truth and falsity um, of that. They just say, does this violate any security uh, you know, guidelines? And they said in, in, in documents that we obtained, um, no, you, you can say this, this, and this. And it laid out exactly what he wanted to say and what they said he could say. So um, I think that strengthened our story in that we can report that um, the, the government, the Pentagon, and knew what he was telling us and did not object on security grounds. So I think that's important. It adds a level of verification that we were very careful to get because, um, again, it confirms that we weren't dealing in classified information and that the information that we were, were reporting had been uh, cleared uh, just for this kind of publication uh, in the debrief um, with, with the government. So uh, we felt uh, another level of, of confidence and security in, in the reliability of our information. I think it gave us a, a very strong feeling of confidence that what we were reporting he was saying was at least true and lou elizondo did something similar to this i believe with his book too just so people yeah so that he could go forward and release his book hopefully in the next hopefully next year or maybe end of this year we'll see 
and the skin workers at the Pentagon, same thing. I mean, anybody who's worked within the intelligence world and then wants to write a book, they all have to get it reviewed to make sure there's nothing in there that that is violating uh, classification rules. So skin walkers, I remember they were tied up for quite a while going through this review process. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, it might be a different office that handles books as opposed to shorter things. I don't know, but it's the same kind of process. Yeah. You know, and I think that added to the wow factor of our story because people were saying, you know, wow, they're, they're, the government is letting this guy say this? You know, wow, they're letting him say... So, um, yeah, it sounds like, I guess, maybe a normal reader's reaction might be, oh, nobody would allow him to say this. So how could he say this? Um, and they let him say it. You know, they didn't endorse it, but they said it doesn't violate any, um, you know, secrecy statutes. So, uh, again, we were very pleased to, to have that level of, uh, uh, you know, the disclosure in our in our piece. And uh, I think it added to the power of, of the story that came out. Where do we go next now with this story? You know, where does the government have to go for, uh, for us to obviously have more, we'll use the word disclosure, you know, such a buzzword in, our, in the, the UFO community. And then where do the people go next with learning all this information? Because it really is, if this is the first article you ever read about this topic, you're going to go through a massive paradigm shift and it can change everything that you, and everything, how you see the world and, and everything that you believe in. Yeah, so I guess where we go next is what we hope, where we hope we go next, because we can't predict, is that others will come forward, like Dave, that the the case for the reality of crash retrievals and and these legacy programs will be, you know, will become stronger. And as a result, there will be more hearings, for instance, that perhaps Dave and others will be called to an open hearing in Congress, and that there may be, as we talked about, uh, declassification of some documentation about this uh, and just more, greater transparency then it's just going to be a gradual process that's going to unfold and um, you know that's best case scenario uh, of course we can't predict I mean worst case scenario is that everything just gets shut down uh, and there's some way that it's you know that these witnesses are, are prevented from coming forward and there's a, you know there I mean there are forces out there that don't want this to happen and have a lot of power to be do harm to people you know, but, uh, I, I, like say, but I, I like to put forward the positive scenario and say this is what should happen and, and is sh- probably will happen. That's how I see it. Sorry. You know, I want to just add to that. Absolutely right. That uh, you have to think of how far we've come and just in the few years since, you know, we broke the story in The New York Times. Um, now the government has officially said that these objects are real. They physically exist. They're not hallucinations. They're not, you know, fly specks on the windshield of, you know, fighter craft. Uh, these are uh, true enigmas. Um, they can't be explained by anything we've, uh, you know, understood so far. They operate not only in the air, apparently, but underwater because they changed the name of the office to the all domain, uh, you know, anomaly uh, office. So. Um, These things are operating in a a variety of media, um, air, water, and uh, but they're real. They're they're not figments of imagination. They're not hallucinations. They're not fabrications. They're not hoaxes. They are something that cannot be explained uh, by our current understanding. Um, So uh, and that's only within the last few years, because, uh, you know, before that, the government was saying, well, these, you know, people are faking these reports or they're, they're demented or they're mentally ill. Um, and that was the stigma all along. Well, now we've gone beyond that. The government has officially said, you know, in, in the reports it's put out, that these objects are real. We can't explain them. Some we can explain. 
Uh, a lot we can't explain or can be explained finally by natural phenomena, but a lot we can't. Um, and, and that's how far we've come. And I think that it's, it's nice to look at the positive side and say, well, we haven't figured it all out. We haven't gotten all the answers by a long shot, but at least we're not back to the days when the government was putting out this and getting away with it, putting out this disinformation and misinformation. A hundred percent and we're in the right step forward, I think. Thank you so much, both of you, Les and Ralph, to joining me on Rebelliously Curious today. And I can't wait to see what else happens with this article. So again, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Chris.